0: need to have two foundational sessions each week and i and i just don't mean that from a training perspective that's also from a a a full presence perspective where you are completely engaged the world is shut out you're not thinking about what's going on at your job or your family at that moment you are 100 dedicated
1: the triathlon show episode 107 Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and today I bring on the third ever, I believe, repeat guest uh, and that is Jerry Rodriguez, a triathlon swim coach that many, many, many of you will know from Tower 26. They have uh, an excellent podcast called the Be Race Ready podcast. And Jerry was on all the way back in episode three, where we discussed mostly uh, technique and uh, the technical aspects of swimming, simplifying that, distilling that down to the three most important elements. So I highly recommend you check that out. But today we go more into what the actual swim training of a triathlete should be like and what it should not be be like importantly so Jerry Rodriguez just quickly as I mentioned he's the head coach at Tower 26 in Los Angeles California and he's been coaching for 35 years and he started he's got a swimming background but started coaching triathletes in swimming right away so he really really specializes in in coaching triathlon swimming and makes the important distinction of swimming and triathlon swimming which is why i think he's uh, such a fantastic coach to follow and learn from and as i said his podcast the be race ready podcast is really the best place to follow him it's uh, Just amazing. It's one of those podcasts that you can go back and listen to episodes many times over and and just really try to absorb all the information. We'll get right into the interview with Jerry after thanking our sponsors. We have Precision Hydration and uh, Andy, the founder, recently wrote a great blog post that I mentioned before, but I think it's super important because I know that a lot of you are training for Ironman races at the moment. And this blog post is about how much dehydration you can tolerate during an Ironman. And uh, although this is very individual and may vary even Within an individual, depending on the day, the climate and so on, it usually falls somewhere between 2-4% to of body weight for most people. And as you know, getting your hydration right and your sodium intake and electrolyte intake right is crucial in those longer events. And you can get your first box of Precision Hydration electrolyte product for free on precisionhydration.com when you use the promo code Triaflonshow, all one word. This episode is also sponsored by Triathlon Corner, a triathlon webshop that you can find on triathlon-corner.store. They also have a great promo code for 10% off all purchases in the entire webshop. And the code is the same, that triathlon show, all one word, all caps. Whether you're looking for a new wetsuit, running shoes, bike computer or power meters, they have it all, plus much more clothing, gear, gadgets and gizmos. Make sure that you check them out and use that promo code, Show on triathlon-corner.store. All right, so now let's get into the interview with uh, Jerry Rodriguez. So today, it's my great, great pleasure to welcome back as a repeat guest on That Triathlon Show, Jerry Rodriguez from Tower 26. Jerry, how are you today? I'm good. Uh, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me on again. Super good and uh, very excited to get going. We already had a really good pre-interview chat, so so we're all warmed up, I, I want to say. And, and the topic that we have today, well, first, a little bit of background. You were on episode three of uh, this podcast, and that's still one of the uh, top five, top three maybe downloaded episodes that we have. And that was on uh, your swimming technique teachings and uh, so so the listeners are very much encouraged to go and listen to that it will be linked to in the show notes and everything today we're going to talk more about the actual training prescription and how to get it right how what mistakes people do in it when it comes to swim training and swim training for triathlon specifically which uh, is something that you really really specialize in so Let's maybe start with a few common mistakes that triathletes make in their swim training, planning, and prescription. Can you talk about that?
0: Uh, Of course. You know, it's interesting. I, I gave quite a bit of thought to this because I think there are many things, many mistakes, at least from this coach's perspective, that triathletes make. But what I did was I went through and I ranked them in order of priority. So I thought I'd talk about two or three. Just um, that 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 would hit sort of the, the 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 macro target. Number one, I think the most important or the biggest mistake, and you might laugh at this, Mikhail, but they don't swim. It just <laughs> I do <like> laugh. <laughs> they don't. It's like okay, you pick a race and you put it out there in the calendar, and um, on a few weeks before, it's like oh. There's that swim part of it. Let me uh, take a swim lesson, or call up whatever whoever my local program might be, and see if I could get two or three weeks of swimming in. That is probably the biggest mistake that I see out there. It's because the swim is only ten percent or so of a half Ironman or Ironman race. It's sort of put to the back burner. So obviously, that's a big, big problem. Uh, un unfortunately, those are some of the folks that get into the most difficulty in races, uh, th- th- thus being, un- you know, by being unprepared. Um, I think another one that I see quite a bit is there is a uh, a thinking process by many athletes that technique is the sort of the holy grail. They get involved in the sport or they pick a race to do. And think you know I gotta go take a swim lesson and get my technique fixed because I'm having difficulty or whatever the reasons may be, and I think there's sort of an almost an oversubscription of this thing that technique's gonna fix everything. So I think that's the second one, uh, not recognizing that technique is important, but for the most part, a lot of triathletes have pretty decent technique. They just haven't don't realize that it's a delicate dance between uh, the technical demands and the the right training protocols. And most think that because perhaps, or many think I should say that because uh, you swim and get a little bit winded, uh, that it's a technical problem. It's usually not. It's a specific muscular endurance issue. You might be super fit and running, but it doesn't mean you hop in a swimming pool and, and you're going to be able to swim a bunch of laps. So that's another one. And and then for the folks that do train and and put a fair amount of time into, their, uh, into preparation, so here's your audience that's actually been a little bit more thoughtful and put planning into it and realized I do have to spend time swimming, many swim at uh, one gear effort, sort of a steady state, or they don't really vary outputs very much, uh, or they've decided or f- believe that they really just have sort of two gears, on and off, and it's sort of better to stay in the off gear because when they really try to go fast, their heart rate blows up too much. So let's swim at this other effort level that they're very comfortable at. So we see a lot of that. And then finally, I think uh, for athletes that are um, willing to try new things or willing to listen to podcasts such as this or read and want to experiment and um, attempt changes, whether they're technical changes, whether they're workout prescriptive changes, whatever they might be, there's a little bit of impatience. Well, I did that a couple times and it didn't work out. Well, it, that's right. You only did it a couple of times. It's going to take a fair number of trials over a certain period of time. So to me, those are sort of the four things, impatience, not enough effort changes in workout, most don't swim at all oh, very much, and then thinking technique is sort of the, the holy grail I, those are the four that I, I would rank the most for, the the four important ones that I've observed over my god knows 35 years of doing this
1: so a follow-up on the technique question is there a threshold when you uh, when you need to if you're really really new and swim really slowly when you just focus on technique or is it always a mixture and and when do the balance swing in uh, what sort of way can you elaborate a bit on that
0: You know, it's a great question. That's where
1: art, the art
0: of teaching comes in. And um, you can sit there all day long and teach the the mechanics and the science of the sport, but this is the art where someone who has experience recognizes when it's time to turn off technique and turn on more training, so to speak. But generally, here's some sort of basic thresholds. Anyone that comes into the sport that's either relatively new to it or who is unfit in swimming, they've taken six, seven months off or the season is over, they haven't done any swimming for two or three months and they come back in and think, you know, I got to get a swim lesson wrong. You got to spend three weeks swimming three times a week, excuse me, Uh, 10 sessions or so. So you can at least build back some specific muscle endurance. So you can then absorb any sort of technical tips or technical demands that were laid upon you, but trying to make technical changes while you don't have any specific muscle if, Endurance fitness falls uh, falls far short of being able to achieve what the athlete wants to achieve. So spend several weeks getting some form of fitness, and then layer on the technical end. And then it's a delicate balance: technique training, tip Te- training, technique, and they do go hand in hand. That's in a very narrow time frame. Expand it out to a year-long time frame or an entire season. Then there needs to be some, in my opinion, some form of uh, using the trendy word today, periodization of this portion of the season we can do more technical work. This portion of the season we can do, you know, whatever it is, a, a massive block of, uh, of endurance training um, or foundational training. So I think longer horizon, you can allocate more time or more dedicated time to the technical aspect.
1: And uh, one of the other things that you mentioned, the fact that they don't vary their outputs uh, a lot, if at all, then that's one something that's very specific to what sort of training they're doing. So is there anything else related to kind of the training specific side, not because the other things were more general, I guess, the patient side and and not doing fitness. Well, I, okay, that's related to program as well. But uh, but are there specific things, for example, too much or too little speed, endurance, threshold, training, whatever, that, that you think that triathletes are getting wrong?
0: I don't know if they're getting it wrong. Uh, it, it hurts to push yourself, right? Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's that, that's, that's,
1: that's why we're talking about how, how a swim squad is so great because you, you manage to push yourself a little little more when you're in a swim squad.
0: Right. There's that guy or girl next to you and they're half a body length ahead or a body length ahead or, you know, whatever it may be. So little, you receive a little extra motivation to press yourself further. And when you're swimming alone, uh, you don't have, uh, have that opportunity. And so it hurts. You feel that pain. And it's easy to just go, you know what? I'm too much out of my comfort zone. And you sort of back down. So it seems like most athletes stay in this sort of pretty tight banner of, of, of output. And um, as an, let's give a specific example. If you asked an athlete to um, descend their swimming times or ascend their, their output, okay, go a little faster in each, each uh, repetition, give them four 100s, I'd like you to swim each 100 faster. Well, what typically happens, I've found, is that the, their, their times, the variance in times between their first one hundred, third, and fourth, is fairly narrow. The delta is small. The times are tightly clustered. And, they, and the, many think, well, I put in all this extra effort to not go much faster. But a lot of times the problem lies in that the first one was too fast. So they really have to learn to back down in effort from their sort of steady state comfort zone, even go easier than that. Pretty much everybody can run a 12 minute mile, right? I think so. Most folks, yeah, 12 or 13 minute mile—that's fairly easy. Uh, and and but if you ask, if you ask somebody, if, if we could agree that, well, let's make it really easy. Everybody could run a 15 minute mile, providing you're fully able bodied and so on. So if somebody, if you told them to run fa- do four one mile repeats and run faster in each one. Well, if you started at eight-minute mile pace and your best mile is 730, well, you mightn't be able to have much improved performance as you go through your four one-mile repeats. But if you started at a 15-mile pace, you'd be able to go a 15-mile pace and a 12-mile pace and then a nine-mile pace. And then you might end up and hit your fastest mile pace at seven minutes by the end, as an example. The delta is really, really wide now. So I think they have to learn to swim easier to start with, go to another effort that's moderate effort, go to a very strong aerobic effort, and go really out of their comfort zone, completely out of it on the fourth effort. Um, and it, the extra output for number four in this example doesn't really give a huge benefit in performance at that moment. But that's why we have training and repetition, and we do this over and over and over. We come back to that impatient thing. Well, I didn't really go that much faster. Well, we've we, we just done this one time. We've got to build this into well, – look at this over a three-week period and then repeat it again over another three-week cycle and so on. So there are a couple of basic examples.
1: Do you think that it's difficult for many athletes to to really push themselves – to the pain cave in swimming the same way that they can do in in running or cycling for whatever reason? And if so, why?
0: I don't know if – you know, I think some of that may be personality-driven. I'm not sure exactly. Some of it's just if someone didn't have an athletic background prior to getting to the sport of triathlon, they're not really used to pushing their bodies to those limits of absolute pain – So you have to be sort of coaxed along a bit Um, and you have to be encouraged and folks have to know that, well, if you really want great performance and and not to the exclusion of career and family and so on, but if you want to be the best that you can be, well, these are some of the things you have to do. Uh, This is why having a coach is helpful because this is not their bailiwick. It's not what they do
1: for a profession, right? So they need some guidance. So that's that's a great segue into talking about the the right training prescription then. And uh, as you said, what was it thirty five years in in coaching, and you started with with fleets right away and coaching them to swim. If uh, if I'm not mistaken, so so what's your take? If you give us a broad overview of uh, of the right training prescription for swimming.
0: Well, I, you know I don't know if there's a right training prescription. There's what I've sort of become uh, more. You know, aligned to over the last decade or so, after trying many different things and coming from a swimming background, although I started coaching triathletes first in 1983, um, I, I, I think there's a there's some misinformation in the sport of triathlon from the swimming perspective, at least that is being managed as time goes on. Because the sport is relatively new compared to many other sports, right? So it's getting better and better. If we look at the 90s, I'll give a little historical perspective. In the 80s, there were no coaches, uh, none to my knowledge. And by the time the 90s came around, there were a few more coaches. And then into the 2000s, you started getting a lot of coaches because the sport then became an Olympic sport. So there's been a progression of coaches. Uh, of, uh, the quantity of coaches, I should say over the decades in the, the, the nineties, there, there was, um, a particular way of, of even te- because very few people were doing it teaching. Here's what should be done on, on the swim. And some of it was very traditional. And some of it came from, uh, coaches that were swim coaches. Well, that's fine. Some of it does apply and it's very important, but not all of it applies. And I've used this example, and I can't recall if we did it in our last podcast uh, when you interviewed me, but... It's more than 100 episodes ago, so let's uh, just take it again if that's the case. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, if I've used the example of Usain Bolt, a, a terrific runner, but not because he's a terrific runner, we would hire Usain Bolt's coach to coach us you know, a half marathon run in a triathlon. The, the guy coaches an athlete that runs a 10 second race, uh, 19 seconds if he decides to double the distance and go at 200. And that's it. So the training prescription, the technical prescription, everything would be completely different for somebody who's running a half marathon in a triathlon or even a 10K in an Olympic distance. Needless to say, a marathon in an Ironman. So what we've had is a number of coaches who've come in with various technical thoughts from the swimming background and training prescription thoughts from swimming and they brought it into the triathlon and it has sent somewhat of a confusing message. And we still have it. We certainly in North America, it's here quite a bit. Uh, so I think we need to really look at the demands of this sport. What are, what are those and then extract from swimming. What does competitive swimming what are the things that we're doing in competitive swim that can add value and then take away the things that don't have an application to it? Here's one that doesn't have an application, flip turns. It doesn't matter if you can do a flip turn or not. It adds no value, zero, to uh, swimming a half Ironman or an Ironman race, although some coaches would debate and say it does. But in a time-budgeted triathlete schedule of swimming two hours a week like most do, And in fact, for for, for many, that's their maximum time budget. Spending time doing flip turns or learning to do them is a very low priority of where their time budget should be spent. So from this coach's perspective, other coaches would disagree. Uh, Therefore, I think we have to spend the time looking at sensible solutions for training and technique for the triathlete. So it's somewhat of a long-winded
1: answer. Um, so, so can we talk talk a bit about the some other things that we may see in in magazines or on the internet that 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 you would say come from a swimming uh, point of view, but aren't necessarily a good time investment for triathletes. So, so that listeners can learn to recognize them. Kicking, kicking is a perfect one. Uh, we don't need to to kick uh,
0: for propulsion and triathlon. We need to learn to kick well enough so our kick. Doesn't create damage uh, or or take away from propulsion, but trying to become a better kicker from a propulsive perspective is a complete waste of time, unless you're an ITU athlete at the at the elite level. Uh, that's a different audience. For, but for your general uh, fat part of the bell curve, uh, kicking is of low value. For the for the purpose of propulsion, we do need to learn to have reasonably good kicking mechanics, so it doesn't have a negative impact on on performance. But trying to allow it to have a positive impact on performance, I don't happen to think that's the best time spent. We can more readily teach somebody to pull a lot better and become a much faster swimmer through pulling a lot rather than kicking. Plus, boy, those triathletes love to wear the pull buoys, don't they? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So
1: there's music it, to their ears there. <laughs> um, is there any, anything else, and any other things that come to mind?
0: Um, How about early vertical forearm? Kind of the sexy buzz thing of, of triathlon in the last couple of years. Does that have value to the triathlete? well if we just took early vertical forearm on its own and have a discussion on it and we go back and look at swimming in the 1970s 40 years ago they didn't have an early, early vertical forearm in swimming then now it's what they teach to some extent in modern day swimming and athletes are not that fa- that much faster they're a little bit faster but they're not that much faster. And in fact, we could argue that the reason that they're faster is because they have better dives, much better push offs on the walls with all the butterfly kicking where they're allowed to go 15 meters on the water. So if we took all of that out, one could argue that they're no faster than they were 40 years ago in freestyle. Uh, So now enter early vertical farm, just in the swimming arena, is that really important? Now let's take it and put it into the triathlon arena where being able to have an early vertical forearm and all that simply means is when, once the hand enters the water, the first thing you try to do is pop the elbow up and keep it super high close to the surface uh, while the hand itself goes deeper down so you can grab onto the water, but that elbow stays really high. So that particular um, d- demand or ask of the triathlete, is very difficult for them to do because they don't have the mobility to do it relative to a swimmer and especially if they come from a running background where their upper bodies tend to be much uh, much stiffer or nowhere near as limber as a swimmer, we're asking them to do something that's near to, if not impossible, to do. Why are we doing this? But it became the sexy thing for triathlon coaches or coaches to bring into the sport of triathlon. I don't think it has much value here.
1: No. So let's, let's move on to uh, then what are the... Elements that we need to include in our swim training that are specific and valuable for triathlon swimming.
0: Well, I happen to think you know I'm an old guy, right? So I'm not as uh, I'm not like young folks who, or who, who much of certainly society at times, it tends to look for quick success. You know, for a while I used to use the term: "Is we're in this sort of societal phase of instant success." And as a former magazine owner and publisher. That's what you're taught to write, uh, what, how you're taught to uh, have headlines, you know, five tips to, to do this, become, you know, buy real estate in 30 days, uh, th- three tips to, to achieve success overnight, become a millionaire in six months. I mean, everything was just time crunched, uh, the, the grabbing headlines to get somebody into the story. Well, there's sort of that in triathlon too, buy my 12-week plan. Uh, for, for success? Well, I tend to look at things over a much longer horizon, one to two years. And when we write our plans, they're planned for at a minimum of a year at a time. We break it into five phases within that year. So when someone comes into our program or even on our subscription plan that we have, and they ask at times, uh, I'm doing a race in, you know, 90 days or 120 days. Could you write me a plan for it? I don't. I can't. It's not what we offer. It's not my offering. It's, to, to me, that's a, a, short-term, a short-term bite. So to answer your question, I think we need to have a much longer lens if you truly want to use triathlon as a lifestyle uh, and be able to do it for multiple years rather than be a one-hit wonder or just in there for a bucket list doing a triathlon race. That's just not my customer to start with. I prefer to have this as a lifestyle and teach people to look at things from a longer term perspective. So longer lens, number one, at a minimum, look at this at a year, break it into some phases and then, you know, lay out your plan and work your plan.
1: Yeah, it uh, takes a long time to become an overnight success, as they say. I, w- I was just having an interview. I don't remember know if it will be released before or after yours, but with a teammate of mine that uh, uh, she won the her age group uh, three times in the European Championships uh, for the Olympic and sprint distances, and uh, it uh, she started as an adult and completely new to swimming and everything, but. Uh, Uh, worked consistently for 10 years and then she she got her wins and and that's kind of uh it was very motivational and i think that will be very very educational as well to to realize that that long term lens is really what it takes if you want to to become really good at something it's like with the ten thousand hour rule whether you believe that that's a fact or not but but there's definitely value in the in the actual concept
0: you mentioned it just a minute ago you used a wonderful phrase Uh, becoming an overnight success. I use this example in a talk that I gave about Gordon Ramsay, who many folks may know, especially Europeans, uh, you know, the, the chef. Uh, And um, Gordon has a coach in, uh, in his home homeland, but when he's in the United States, he swims in our program. And I use Gordon as an example. Many folks know the name and you've seen him on TV as a celebrity chef and so on, but, if you know Gordon's story, it took him 17 years to become an overnight success. No one saw the 17 years when he was working in the kitchen, sweeping the floor to start off, and then you climb your way up to become this Gordon Ramsay quotations overnight success. But it, mm, it was a, absolutely it, it was a lead up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, l- what? Uh, how do you structure your workouts? You, I know that we we can kind of weave in your subscription program and how that, that works as well. Many listeners probably listen already to your podcast, the Tower26B Race Ready podcast, uh, which I highly, highly recommend that you do if you don't already. Uh, so so you have usually two key sessions every week that uh, that are kind of the must-do sessions. And and uh, can you expand upon what goes into them? And uh, you can pick really any time of the year, like what are you doing now, for example? And And then if you can highlight why that's important for triathletes to do what you're doing and why you're doing it,
0: so I think, Michael, you know, we we have to look at this through through the um, from a very macro perspective, and how does triathlon fit into? Let's remove an uh, a pro athlete for a moment and just look at the amateur. H- how does triathlon fit into your lifestyle, into your career, into your? Um, your other sports or hobbies and into your family. And you start with a budget, a time budget that you're able to allocate to training and training, meaning swim, bike run and, and any other pieces of training you would add,ing strength, training, whatever it might be. What is your time budget? Your total allocated number of hours you can spend a week. And then with the assistance of some sort of professional, I would encourage athletes to use a coach to help them, then break out what portions would be uh, segmented for each sport. This many hours for swim, this much for bike, this much for one. And, and by the way, those, that prescriptive amount would vary depending on an athlete's strength or weakness. Somebody has, who's a terrific swimmer would not need to uh, have the same ratio of some, uh, somebody who has no swim background, as an example. So once you have that allocated out – And now you get down to your specific question as to the swim. Most athletes are going to have, uh, uh, or many, I should say, would have maybe swim two to three times a week. Well, if you're going to swim just two times a week and that's it, they both have to be key sessions. Each session has to have hit many of the, the, the highlights of what needs to help them along in progression. If they have three times a week, then... At a minimum, two need to hit that, hit those highlights. If you have four times a week to swim, again, at least two have to hit the highlights, and then three and four could have different variations of of, of uh, supporting elements. But I happen to think you need a couple times a week of those injections of, of for, and, and this would apply for both all, all three sports, not just swimming. You need to have two foundational sessions each week. And I and I just don't mean that from a training perspective. That's also from a, a a full presence perspective, where you are completely engaged. The world is shut out. You're not thinking about what's going on at your job or your family at that moment. You are 100% dedicated, uh, emotionally and physically, to the activity for those two times. So all of our sessions, as it relates to whether it's our subscription plan or our location-based program. There are two key sessions, and then they're supporting sessions after that. And that's, and there's some simplistic reasons for that. Uh, folks have family commitments. They have travel related to their jobs and so on. So if you had a plan that had three or four workouts of swimming in this case, since that's what we're talking about, and they had to miss something, miss one or two of their sessions during the week, don't miss the key sessions. You know what the bullseye sessions are. So drop the others. You got to nail these two down. So there's that specific portion as to
1: why and uh as for the key sessions uh is there recommendations for how long they need to be again that would be determined by the the
0: where the athlete is in their progression do they have a background in swimming or not what they're trying to achieve and so on but in the perfect world if you if you have 75 minutes Available to you, I think you can get a lot of good work done in 75 minutes. Um, if you have 90 minutes, that's even better, obviously, especially if you're training for an Ironman. But these 45-minute sessions uh, that I that I see that are written out that many athletes do, and they're doing it just once or twice a week, that's not going to have a great return on uh, on investment if they want good performance. And they don't have any sort of swim background or not really a good knowledge base on the swim segment.
1: Yeah, you see see a lot of stagnation in swimming with uh, people that are posting on Facebook groups and things like that about uh, how why can I can't I improve and then then people ask about their training and it usually it turns out that they're swimming those two times forty five minutes per week. It tends to to be what 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 I've seen is the default at least in those athletes that that aren't progressing in their in their swim so uh, yeah I, I would definitely agree that there is a case for uh, for making those sessions longer that's that's what people do do on the bike they 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 don't follow the coach's order they do the bikes way longer than the coach coach says oftentimes but but on the swim it's well, not so much look at what many folks do it's they try to
0: got to get that swim session done and maybe in maybe the middle of their work day, get to their local pool they got 45 minutes or right after work The pool is going to close. So let me get there. So it's, there's sort of a little bit of cramming to start with. And then like, and we talked about this earlier in your, in the episode, what are they doing in those 45 minutes? Sometimes 45 minutes can work, but it's, what are you doing? And the ones who are stuck and we get many of those, especially in our subscription program, I'd say that's the majority of our folks in our subscription plan. I've been stuck coach for two, three, four. The longest is seven years. I haven't made any improvements. And, um, when you review what they've done, well, yeah, you're not going to make any improvements doing that. That's uh, so why it stayed the same every year. At least you haven't slid backwards, but you've stayed stationary. So let's break you out of that stagnant pattern. you have got to do, you know, stimulate different uh, different training protocols
1: so let's talk a bit more about the subscription program and and maybe maybe we can uh, highlight one of those uh, examples that you mentioned somebody who has plateaued since there are so many that seem to be stuck in in one uh, one speed at uh, one level in their swim and how using the the program has Has helped them first if you give us an overview of what the the program really is how it works for those listeners that don't know about it but then if you can get into into some case study like that
0: so the 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 plan is mainly for those in the northern hemisphere so it'd fall into your your audience because we follow the northern hemisphere's race schedule a little bit different obviously for, for this, Australia and like, New Zealand. It's a
1: global podcast, you know, we have listeners in all over the world. So yes. <laughs> but I, I get uh, you.
0: <laughs> but okay, sure. Um so we follow the northern hemisphere's training uh racing calendar, which generally would mean the bulk of races are between April and October. And uh and then in those winter months um less races or almost no racing and, and lesser training. So we've, you know, we set up a, a, a plan, our yearly plan around that and carry the athletes through five different phases within the uh, within the year. And we talked about one of them earlier. We, we do have a, a phase that's mainly technical and that's during the off season, so to speak. And then we have a foundation phase, which we're in right now. And then we have some skill building for open water and then we're in our race phase. So there are a no, number of different phases. But the, the the key thing, some of these athletes, I would say almost all of these athletes that come into our plan, have uh, many are self-coached. And some have tried different plans or have taken workouts from elsewhere. But there's been no sort of um, macro plan as to why the workout what, what's the value of the workout that they're doing? It's, it's it's one workout in a 12-week plan. Oh, it's a workout that, you know, here's what my friend's doing that he or she told me that worked for them really well. Well, not because it worked for them, means it's going to work for you. So this is much more methodically and carefully laid out. And, in fact, if you went or your audience went and listened to our most recent episode, which I think is number 46, um, uh, or you can just go to... Uh, Tower26.com and click on podcast and the most recent episode as of today's date, which we're talking on the 13th of February. So the the episode that's prior to this date. That episode, we interview Jamie, who was one of our, in fact, uh, Mikhail, one of our podcast listeners, who had been stuck for a few years. And she sent in a question. I answered the question on air. And based on her question alone, I felt, oh my gosh, this poor lady has been working hard for two or three years on just the mere fact of the question that she asked, which was, by the way, if I started doing flip turns and workout, will that help? Just that question alone told me everything I needed to know about why this lady has not improved in her swimming. And I made her an offer. Join our plan. If you don't improve, I'll give you all your money back. Here she'd been stuck for three years. Within one month... She was already five seconds faster in her 100 freestyle and one minute, and I forget the exact amount, one minute and 20-something or 30 seconds faster in her 1K time trial in one month.
1: That's that's amazing improvement.
0: But she had been stuck in how she was doing things and expected a different result. Only because sweet, very sophisticated, well-educated, terrific athlete but just didn't know what to do in this particular arena and therefore stuck to the same pattern. What? Now she's broken out and doing obviously quite well and very happy.
1: Um, Unfortunately for her, she didn't get her money back. (laughs) Uh, yeah i think she'll probably take the the improvements i know that i would (laughs) take the improvements yes
0: i mean it's been obvious we that that request is or that is available out there for anybody who doesn't get any better but we haven't had a a request yet for money back because it doesn't happen it's
1: people are the ones who are on our plan are the ones who've been stuck so uh, when what what changed for her in, in her training do you can you do you remember what she how she trained specifically and and in what period of your plan did she join so what kind of training were you were you doing
0: Interestingly she joined in a technical phase and so obviously received benefits from the technical phase but mainly Jamie was similar to many many others trained at one gear one effort so if you train at 75% and let's say that 75% effort is a 130 per 100 pacing and uh, let's make it 140 per 100 for meters. And your 140 per 100 pacing in meters in work, in your workouts consistently, what do you think happens on race day? You're going to race 140 per 100, right? Yeah. It's not You're not going to race any faster, but somehow many think they're going to be faster on race day. No, you're going to swim 140. Uh, so you have to get them to start swimming 135s in workout and 130s and even 110s. Oh, what do you mean? I can't do that. Yes, you can for a very short time. In fact, Mikhail, I bet you can run a four minute mile for 20 meters, right? If you told somebody you can run a four minute mile, no, that's not possible. I'm sure you can for 10 meters only. Well, we can in swimming. You can swim a 110 for a 100 if we only swam 20 meters. So now we're starting to stimulate something that hasn't been stimulated before. So none of this is rocket science, but, you get stuck at that 140 pace and you race at 140 and then you stay there for 2 or 3 years and nothing ever changes
1: yeah and i'm sure that that's something that even in your technical phase you have those uh small sprinkles of of speed blended yes. in in the, in the program and so it's uh yeah um definitely makes sense and, and absolutely you're, you're right when you when you go to the pool and see see triathletes around you but they're pretty easy to recognize at least in Helsinki right. where I used we're used to swim they they always had their own lanes the triathletes and the swimmers were on the other side of the pool it was a pretty big big pool but yeah. Uh, yeah you see that that one gear phenomenon time and time again so yeah
0: and also it's, it's important for athletes to recognize that Give the the change that you are introducing several weeks uh, to take hold, several meaning at least three to take hold, providing you're swimming three times a week. You want to have about 10 sessions where you've – whatever you've introduced that you've done it 10 times. Uh, and 10 times doesn't mean 10 arm strokes. It means uh, whatever it is that you've introduced, you've done it for a certain number of minutes in a session – Multiplied by ten sessions over hopefully three weeks or so, no more than four weeks, but definitely three weeks would be ideal. And ten opportunities to see some sort of change. You know, need to stimulate, re-stimulate, keep doing it. Doesn't happen in just one or two times, especially if it, if if one has never been an athlete. Uh, it it has to be. Um, stimulate it out if one was an athlete it now has to be sort of it'll resurface but it's still going to take some time it's in there it needs to come out but those who haven't had any sort of athletic background well we now started we have to train it and it'll happen it does happen it happens to everybody they get
1: better i started thinking there when you said uh, three times per week do, what do you have any uh any suggestive uh thoughts on what happens if you increase your swimming from that normal two times per week to three times per week i know that's something that interests at least myself because of the athletes that i coach so i coach 15 athletes and i think that 11 or 12 of them probably swim two times per week that's basically what they have uh have time for uh allocated but but can you see really significant benefits by bumping it up to three or what, what's your take on that
0: Absolutely. Let's do, let's do this in math. You sound like a very scientific guy to me. If you did something twice a week, and then you went to three times a week, what's the percentage increase? Oh, you made me calculate 50. 50%. Most people would think a third, but it's a 50% increase. You've therefore increased what you've been doing by 50%. And if you had no background in that activity before, boy, you better believe that's going to be a huge benefit. If you have the time budget for it. So yes, going from two or three times ta- to three times a week, massive benefits.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's uh, obviously we assume here that, that you're doing the right thing in, in the pool or some, yes, something along the course. right directions. So uh, final thing. Uh, we've actually, we have had the rapid fire questions with you. So I'm not going to make you do them again, but instead. let Those are always fun. I like those. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I don't. Well. Yeah, let's skip them because I haven't really prepared. But yeah, I can ask you one more question that I started to introduce more recently that you haven't answered. But before that, uh, uh, final uh, words about the subscription programs. Where can people find out more about that and uh, how to join and that sort of thing? Oh, thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, they can go to
0: coaching.tower26.com. Coaching.tower26.com. And all the all the info is right there.
1: Perfect. And then the one rapid fire question that I'm pretty sure that you didn't answer uh, when you last were on is: Who's somebody in uh, triathlon, swimming, or endurance sports that you admire and look up to?
0: You know, I, I'm such a I'm such a nerd. Sometimes, Michael, I, I I really, you know, all of these athletes that are certainly they lead in and. In, in, on the swimming end that have, that have raced so well and then the ones that have just made tremendous improvements. But they've again, it's similar to the Gordon Ramsay story. Like let's take uh, Richard Murray from South Africa. Here's a guy who just wasn't a very good swimmer. And now over the last several years, he's just progressed a little bit each year and now he's, you know, close to be- being at the front pack. So I'm, I'm in awe of all of them. I mean, it, I don't have favorites per se. If any one of them give me five
1: minutes to talk to them, I'd be delighted. Perfect. And uh, yeah, that's uh, about it for, for this interview. And uh, uh, let's maybe wait uh, a little less than 100 episodes before we have you on again, because I really, really enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed this and uh, found it really valuable and uh, educational for me. So I hope that the listeners will, will find it the same. Thank I'm you wi- so much, Jerry.
0: I'm waiting. Thank you. But I'm waiting for you to come visit us in Los Angeles when... Uh, yeah, we
1: talked about right, that there. and I'm, it's still, still uh, definitely very much uh, uh, going to happen. I'm I'm pretty sure. Well, uh, well, all right. I'll hold you to it. <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you very much. Really hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed talking to Jerry. Uh My key takeaways from this interview, there are quite a few, but uh, I tried to distill it down, as Jerry usually does so brilliantly himself, uh, to three main points. And the first one is, uh, we've talked about this many times before on this podcast, but don't think you can just work on technique and, and become faster. You need to work on fitness uh, that's uh, that's just there's no getting around it and and jerry was uh, pretty upfront with the fact that yeah it can hurt it can be very painful to be swimming but you need to you need to do that just like you do biking and running the second would be to vary your paces and uh, funnily enough today that I record this outro the day after talking to Jerry, uh, w- one part of our uh, swimming set was an 8 times 200 and we would descend so each 200 needed to be faster than uh, than the first one. So that's 8 times that you need to be faster so you need to start really slow to manage that. So for example for me that meant going from, I, and I actually did the first one a bit too fast, I should have done it maybe 10 seconds slower or so but uh, from 3 minutes 35 seconds down to uh, 2 46 so 2 minutes 46 seconds the idea was to have uh, as much as a minute from the from the slowest 200 to the fastest so that would be like a 30 second per 100 differential and that's just one example there are many ways that you can vary your paces but but learn how to vary your paces feel different outputs and how they correlate with actual paces and the third takeaway that uh, i would like to highlight in this episode is that it takes time consistency patience and training with great purpose and uh, so so that's just a general piece of advice that it should be pretty self-explanatory. But I think that sometimes, even though we intuitively know it, we don't actually practice it as well as we should do. And uh, we become impatient, we become inconsistent, and we train without a purpose, uh, especially when it comes to swimming. Uh, this is a story that I might tell another time uh, about how I got in a very hotly debated Facebook thread uh got sucked into that one time when somebody was asking for recommendations for headphones or music players for swimming and I yeah I got, got a bit carried away with talking about training with purpose and why why those kinds of uh devices should not be allowed on a triathlete in a swimming pool. Uh, but uh yeah let's not talk anymore about that but just make sure that you when you train whether it's swimming or something else train with a purpose. And uh, again, you can listen to Jerry's previous interview on the show in episode 3. That was on the foundational elements of uh, triathlon swimming technique, tautness, alignment, and propulsion. And I want to give a strong call to action today if you feel that you're stuck in your swimming like we talked about in the interview. If you are in the large majority of triathletes, or you are like them, you already spend a heck of a lot of money on triathlon, including gear, races, travels, and gizmos and gadgets. And so I I would like you to really, really think long and hard about if you are spending that money in the most high leverage places. And the fact is, if you're stuck in your swimming, you're probably not, because you shouldn't be stuck. And... If that's you, if that resonates with you, go and sign up for Jerry's subscription program on coaching.tower26.com. I'll link to that in uh, the episode description and the show notes. And you heard him. It's a completely risk-free investment. You get your money back if you don't improve. Uh, which means that you likely won't get your money back, but hey, you'll improve. So, and I have no affiliation with the program. Don't get any sort of kickbacks for saying this. I just say it as a fellow coach who really admire the work that Jerry does, and and uh, knowing the power of uh, investing in good coaching. So, so I would say that if you're stuck, then your first order priority should be to get out of that rut. And uh, and I think that probably. This is one of the best investments that you can make in triathlon to sign up for Jerry's program. If nothing else, if you don't already, make sure that you at least start listening to the Be Race Ready podcast. Alright, so the next episode on That Triathlon Show is an interview with Joanne Dolcutter. She's an amazing sports psychologist and a former elite athlete herself. She has finished second in the Hawaii Ironman and uh, she's coached on uh, in the sports psychology realm no less than five Olympic medalists in their mental preparation, so you can't really find a much more credible sports psychologist than that. I was really so lucky that I managed to get her on the show, and I'm super excited to share that interview with you in a few days' time. But in the meantime, thank you to Triathlon Corner for supporting the show and keeping it running. Everything you need when it comes to gear, clothing and gadgets you can find on triathlon-corner.store and remember that right now you can get 10% off your next purchase by using the discount code that Show on triathlon-corner.store And thank you as well to Precision Hydration for sponsoring the episode and remember that to get the best electrolyte products for you, you can take the free online sweat test that you find on precisionhydration.com and that will give you the how and why you should fuel with certain electrolyte strengths. You will get uh, yeah a highly specific plan for what to do before races in the preload phase, what to do during races and even a, b- a bit about what to do after races, although the before and the during are definitely the most important parts when it comes to hydration and electrolyte balance again use the discount code that show all one word to get your first box for free thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlons